Good morning. I'd like to talk to you all today about one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and um, I'm going to talk about the first commandment, which goes like this. You shall have no other gods. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, you shall have no other gods. And I want to teach you now the meaning of the commandment. And Martin Luther uh, came up with these meanings based on scripture passages. And he said, what does this mean? We should, actually, congregation, this is a test for you. Will you help me? What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Did you see what I did with my fingers there? Sometimes men like Martin Luther and sometimes the Apostle Paul and sometimes Pastor Smith like to do lists. And it helps when you're memorizing, especially learning your catechism, to use your fingers. I count on my fingers all the time to remember things in the catechism and those lists. And here we have, you say the words out loud with me, and do the fingers too. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So uh, don't be afraid to do that. And even when you have me in catechism class someday and you want to recite something, I like it when you use your fingers to, to go through all the list um, uh, 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 to, to let me know what the, what the meaning is. So let's do that one more time. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I'm going to talk about that more in our sermon, but let's pray about that now. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus, our Savior, to rescue us from our sins. And you, you, you have put faith in our hearts so that we want to fear, love, and trust you above all things. We know that fearing you means respecting you, and loving you means giving you all of our, of our love and adoration and trusting in you means having faith in you and in Jesus. So thank you for our faith. Thank you for our Savior. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God for meditation this morning is from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. The first plague on Egypt, the plague of blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. 
and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. One of the excuses or the arguments that we hear from, from unbelievers as we talk about our faith and, and take the gospel out into the world is, is often some version of the question, well, if God really exists, why doesn't he just show himself? Why, when people have proof, they will believe. Well, no, they won't. This and dozens, maybe hundreds of passages just like this in Scripture show that when people are confronted by God's glory or His power or face-to-face with God Himself, they will find ways to doubt, they will find ways to reject Him and to worship other gods instead. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh in Egypt, he called himself the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, That was to set himself apart from the the pagan false gods of the Egyptians. It was also to show that the true God is the only path to heaven. The God of the Hebrews, the one who would send his son, Jesus Christ, as the only way to heaven, so that we will never forget that there is no other way to eternal life except through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. God sent Moses to meet Pharaoh on the banks of the Nile. Now, the Nile River flows, uh, in fact, you have a map of it here from your elbow to your fingertip. It flows north through northern Africa, almost half of the continent, and finally ends in the Nile Delta, way up in the north uh, eastern corner of, of, of Africa and flows uh, directly into the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, in ancient Egypt, uh, there was no concept really of, of navigation. If you wanted to go south, you hoisted a sail and sailed south. If you wanted to go north, you took down the sail and the current would just take you north. There was no need to bother with any other direction really. Well, up there in the Nile Delta, Pharaoh had his palace, the magnificent uh, place uh, called Avarice. You know, wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice, sometimes called Tanis. And then uh, the, Egyptian, or the, the Hebrews lived uh, to, the, to the east of that in the, the land called uh, Goshen, right there near the Nile Delta, and were sort of the shepherds of the Egyptians, or at least of the royal court. And it was ideal also because while Pharaoh was there and the Hebrews were there, also it was done in public. And this was important because the encounter could not be denied later on. It happened in front of all kinds of people. And being in public, it could be witnessed by not only lots and lots of people, but Pharaoh's own family, Pharaoh's own court. And finally, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile as one of their gods. The Hebrews had been there in Egypt a long time. 430 years. Not all of it as slaves. They had been, uh, first of all, honored guests of the original Pharaoh who welcomed them in. When Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Israel, had become the number two man in all of Egypt. And all through Joseph's lifetime, the Israelites were there for 80 years. 
in that favored status from the time Joseph was 30 and got to the court until he died at the age of 110. But it was after that that, that things changed. All we know for sure is that sometime later the Israelites were enslaved. And was that right away or was it down the road? Um, history tells us that um, there was an invasion of Egypt from, from out east at this time. Uh, some people came and set up a new dynasty in Egypt and they were finally driven away by Egyptian nationals. Had the invaders enslaved the Hebrews or had the Egyptians done it after they drove out the invaders? Um, you know, out of mistrust or jealousy or that unchristian fear that many people have of foreigners in their land. Well, they were enslaved now and Moses went to demand the release of God's people armed really only with a stick. That, that stick, that walking staff that Moses had was the same one that they had performed the miracle of changing the staff into a snake and then back again. Um, and later on it would become the symbol of Aaron's office as the first and true high priest of Israel. Well, the sin of Pharaoh and the Egyptians was idolatry. A sin against the first commandment. Their idolatry was, was open, it was national. And they, they worshipped false gods publicly. They were not atheists. The Egyptians were not fools. They knew, as we do, that every house is built by someone and God is the builder of everything. But they had the wrong idea of who God is. The ancestor of the Egyptians was a man, the Bible tells us, whose name was Mitzrayim, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt. He was the son or the descendant of Ham, one of Noah's three sons, the men who were on the ark with Noah. And after they got off the ark, Ham became the father of Canaan and Mitzrayim and others. And this family fell away from faith very rapidly. It shows us just how quickly uh, a family can fall from faith. The, 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 the polytheism of the Egyptians compared with the, the true faith of the one God of Abraham and Moses and the Israelites. It, it, it begs the question, what kind of an example do I set for my children? Um, what, what stories do we tell to our children about Jesus? And if you don't have children or don't have them at home any longer, uh, what about your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews or, or the neighbor kids? What attitude about church do you set? Are you legalistic about your faith or does it, is it evident to everybody that you love to go? You love to go and, and listen and to learn and to, and to love your Lord Jesus. Well, to teach Pharaoh about the true God, the one true God, the Lord had Moses turn the water of the Nile into blood. The water became blood. The fish died. The water stank. The, the Egyptians couldn't drink it any longer. And I know that there are theories about there being red clay or red algae or something that turns portions of rivers in this area red sometimes. That doesn't account for what was on their cupboard shelves when all of the water of their, their ponds and their reservoirs and in, their, in, in, in the kitchen cupboard, was in the jars, was turned into blood. And it doesn't fit with the Bible's simple words. The Nile turned to blood. In fact, arguments against this are 
the very same arguments that many, uh, many evangelical Christians, uh, uh, the Reformed Christians, use against the real presence of Christ's blood in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But, and, and, and I know that sometimes we get into, shall I call them discussions, about the Lord's Supper and about other theological topics with our family, with our friends, and so forth. And sometimes those can get pretty heated because we're talking about the body and blood of my Savior. But to take some of the emotion and look at the text, to look at what the Bible says, and to talk about how do we know what the Bible means, well, there are these other accounts like Exodus chapter 7 or like uh, John chapter 2, Jesus changing water into wine. Not something that represented wine or something that stood for wine, but it actually became wine. In fact, the best wine they had ever had. And here, you might ask a friend to read this text in Exodus chapter 7 and then ask the question, what do you think Moses means when he says, all the water was changed to blood? This can help point out what the Bible means when, for example, Jesus says, this is my blood. Well, here every part of the Nile was affected, and only by digging in the sand could the people find anything that was even close to being fit to drink. I'm not sure I would be happy with sandy water uh, at all. I might be looking for a bottle of wine or maybe a, a, a jar of beer like they had in Egypt in those times. But what change did all this bring about in Egypt? Well, I didn't read that far in the text, but none at all, not yet. Our, uh, you can read and find out that he didn't take this to heart in any way. And in fact, his magicians did the same thing. Although they couldn't undo what Moses had done to the Nile, they were able to duplicate the first two of these plagues on Egypt. But it was the magicians. It wasn't their priests and the ones who preached their religion or sacrificed to their gods who performed the miracle, but it was just their magicians, the charlatans, the, 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 the jugglers, the clowns who did it. This plague was a sermon on the law of God. And the law is one of the two great doctrines of the Bible, law and gospel. There's a pretty short list for you, but that's it. The law shows man his sin. It, it shows man his need for a Savior. But the law does not teach us who that Savior is. The law is different from the gospel. The law was written on man's heart and is still there in man's conscience. But the gospel and, and, and who the Savior is is only revealed in the gospel message of Scripture and the preaching of that message and in the sacraments. And their content is different. The, the, the law tells us what we must do. The gospel tells us what Christ did do. Both law and gospel promise the same thing, eternal life. But the law says that that is possible only through perfect obedience to the word of God. And then it goes on to show us that we are not perfectly obedient to the word of God. But the gospel reveals that salvation is ours because Christ was perfectly obedient to all of the Word of God. They are also different in their threats. The threats of the law are obvious. Death, damnation, torture. The gospel has no threats at all. Only joy, resurrection, life, and peace. 
The law must be preached to anyone and everyone who is secure in his sins, who doesn't want to make any changes in his life, and thinks that he has earned salvation or deserves salvation himself. This, this has to be crushed by the law of God before the gospel can even be held out to rescue him. Otherwise, he will be satisfied with his, with his opinion of the law and never really receive the gospel, never really trust in Jesus. Pharaoh had to be taught the law in this way because of his idolatry, his public national crisis for all of Egypt to be shown the sin of idolatry and their need for a savior. And idolatry doesn't just mean Pharaoh's worship of statues and sphinxes and things like that, but modern idolatry takes many forms. People will begin to trust in the theories of science or in, in, in facts of mathematics. And some people value money above all, or more, more often power above all. And, and a danger today is that in our current political climate and the medical crisis and in uh, the, 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 uh, the social media around us, is they, they all feed and support the temptation to make my own opinion the most important thing in my heart, more important than anything else. But those dangerous three words, my own opinion, need to be crushed by the law and brought down so that I humble myself and hold up God's holy word as ruling everything, governing and even changing my own opinion. Let God's word govern and rule your life and make adjustments in your life according to God's word and not according to to my own opinion. Who will you trust? The mistake maker you see in the mirror every morning and every day? Or the sinless Son of God, crucified for all of your sins and who lived purely, sinlessly, perfectly in our place? How many streams and cricks and ponds and rivers in Egypt will spontaneously, or rather in hell, will spontaneously and horribly turn to blood to preach the law to Pharaoh and all the pharaohs and magicians and jugglers of Egypt and the idolaters who, who try to tempt us away from our faith as we fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Put your trust in Jesus Christ, who has forgiven all of our sins, even all of our idolatries. All of them forgiven. Turn to the cross. Remember that God alone had the power to put faith in your heart. And God, in his infinite mercy, chose to do exactly that. Praise his name and his mercy forever. For the same God who changed your heart from doubt to faith is the very same God who turned the river Nile from water into blood. He did that to preach the law. But he saved you because he loves you. And that is pure gospel. 
And the peace of God that transcends our understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. The stewardship of our income, that is the money and the other things that God gives us, is not just a matter of giving a gift when we get a windfall or a raise or win the lottery. It's a matter of regular giving, as Paul describes it in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, where he says, On Sundays every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his or her income. This regular giving, it pleases God. It sets a good example of Christian stewardship for our children, and it supports the work of God's holy church.